The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning. My name is Rob Daniels and welcome to Visions in Sound. For those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions in Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 37 of 2020 and show number 1038, if you're keeping track that way. Well, this week we continue into September with the 30th anniversary of a a celebration of the hunt for Red October. Firstly, I'd like to introduce a crew member for this week, all the way from Ramsgate, England. Jason Drury is joining me tonight, or this morning. Jason, how you doing? Good morning, yeah, we're good, we're good tonight. Yeah, uh, awesome, you. great. I, 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 Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Mr. Drury. In any case, uh, the, um, you know, the, the film for me, uh, it's always, for, for me, it's always been one of those films that you can put on any time and watch and enjoy. And it's always been that for me from the very first moment. I didn't see it in the theaters, but I do remember just absolutely loving it from the moment uh, I saw it right through until... You know, just recently I saw it with uh, with Bob. Actually, we watched it on on Netflix, I think, and it does it, it does not lose a thing. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit dated with the uh, you know the Soviet Union references and that sort of thing, but it really stands up stands the test of time. So, Jason, where were you when you first saw uh, Hunt for Red October? Well, I was lucky to see it at the cinema for the ah, first time on the nice. big screen. I remember watching the film and thinking, oh, this looks really good. Submarines, under, underwater, battle got, battle, battles going on. I was rubbing my hands with glee, with excitement. 
boys. Young boys dream of the exilo appointment. It's quite well put together film and from a director who was at the peak of his powers at the time, John Mateen, and you can yes. see the, the typical John Mateen and strobe lighting effects. Of the, if, if, if you like a film with lots of flashing knobs and lights, it is absolutely perfect. <laughs> loads, of them in, loads of them in there. It's got some great performances. It's got a wonderful subdued performance, I thought, by Sean Connery. Yes. Very, very subtle performance. He's not really... He, his presence is... When he's on there, his presence really takes, takes over the film... When he's on screen, but it's very subdued. Doesn't even only only says things when things really matter. That's what I noticed just watching it. Mm -hmm. I just finished watching it like 40, 45 minutes ago, and also you've got to you've got to mention film wise Alec Baldwin's performance. And I yes. think I said to you just off, off, off air, and on, in an in an alternate reality, Alec Baldwin would have done a number of Jack Ryan films, and he would have done them really, really well. Oh, I and agree. And it's just a shame, I think, in, in his career, that he didn't, he wasn't given the opportunity to continue with that role and develop it as much as he could have done. He would have, he would have been an even bigger name actor-wise than he is now. Right. I but think. I don't. I did know. One other thing I did notice in the film is, uh, yet again, uh, most of the Russians were all English actors. This were, were British actors. This is the funny. This is a funny thing about it. Everybody kind of makes fun of, <laughs> of uh, Sean Connery. This. This this uh, uh, Scotsman playing a Russian, but you watch the film and it doesn't. His performance does not. It just it just seems you just seem to forget about it. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's a lot of English actors, uh, Sam Neill and uh, Tim Curry. Well, well, he, well, he's Australian, but but oh. he's, well, he's Australian. But there's Tim Curry, is Peter Firth, there's good old Joss Ackland playing the Russian ambassador. Yep. There's a lot of British talents. Playing in, uh, playing the Russian, some most of the Russian people involved in the film was Russian submarine, submarine people. Even though there's also Stan Stunkard, who we're probably no more now these days for Marvel films. Right. Well, the looking thing very, looking very young. and also and also young looking Scott Glenn as the American as the American captain. It's really typical hard hard as nails Scott Glenn. You can't do anything with like that. I do love watching films with Scott Glenn in for some reason. Yes, yeah. he, he just seems to add. Add, add a lot of some gravitas to any film he goes in, he appears in. Yeah, a very subdued performance by uh, um, uh, Tim Curry. Uh, yes, it was. It was not. It, it was. It was. I thought. He, I think he did a, a fantastic job as the Doctor. There was just mm. so many good. Like I mean, I I can't think of of any other performances in the film that were really weak. I mean, James Earl oh. Jones was on on point. Uh, Jeffrey Jones was on point. Um, of course, Alec Baldwin, Tim, uh, or, uh, Tim Curry, Sean Connery. Everybody seemed to be like on point and up for that, up for the, up for the film. It was just, it was, yeah. it was truly an amazing cast. And something. And you mustn't, and you mustn't forget the subtle way. Talking about subtle, subtlety, that the way they changed the, the Russians speaking from Russians to English. Yes, is really the most subtle. You never, I've never seen it so well done in a, in a film. But the way the camera was doing this, talking to do this, this, this something was, it was like the orders, and, he, and the camera moves into the moves in and moves out, and suddenly you speak in English. I thought that was so well done. Well, yeah, it's it's one of the I've seen it done a couple of times in various films, but nowhere near as well done as it is in. In Hunt for Red October, uh, I saw it done in um, what Thirteenth Warrior. 
I saw it done in um, Clear and Present Danger, stuff like that. So it, it, it's mm. it's it's not unusual to see, but at the same time, McTiernan seemed to have have mastered it in in just the way the, it, the I've, I I think it was a masterstroke to do that to go in on the the mouth and then use the the Armageddon word as the bridge between yeah. and it was and it was seamless like there was just and then it comes out and they're speaking english and it didn't seem to make a lick of difference it worked mm-hmm. it worked so well in 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 any case so um yeah now the the actual book the hunt for red october was the debut novel for tom for tom clancy uh first published in october 1st 1984 it depicts Soviet submarine captain Marco Ramius as he seemingly goes rogue with his country's cutting-edge ballistic missile submarine Red October and marks the first appearance of Clancy's most popular fictional character Jack Ryan, a character that would show up in several films and a, yeah. a uh, pro, uh, Amazon Prime series as well. Uh, and now Jack Ryan is an analyst working for the CIA and he must prove his theory that Ramius has actually intended to defect to the United States. Now, according to according to the research that I did, the book is loosely based on the mutiny by on on the Soviet frigate, and hopefully I'm pronouncing this correctly, Storotsehov in 1975. Uh, Red October launched Clancy's successful career as a novelist, especially after then U.S. President Ronald Reagan remarked that he enjoyed reading the book. A namesake film adaptation, of course, was released on March 2nd, 1990, and several computer and video games based on the book have also been developed. Uh, since then, the book has become instrumental in bringing a book genre of techno-thriller into the mainstream. Now, the film, uh, The Hunt for Red October, is, of course, a submarine spy thriller directed by John McTiernan, as we mentioned. Now, he, he was coming off of... What was he coming off of? Uh, no, Predator was eighty-seven. Die, Die Hard would no, have been. Hard. Die Hard would have been around that time. So he was, as, as you said, at the top of his game. Yes. And so there was, was Die Hard Revenge, so I think it was still in, in between a Die Hard. I think then after that was uh, Last Action Hill. So these were the. This was his really the stage when he was in the uh, ascendancy as, as, as a top director. Awesome. Now, the film, of course, stars Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, James Earl Jones, Sam Neill, and a cast of others. Uh, this is, the, of course, the first installment of the Jack Ryan uh, with, with the, the protagonist, Jack Ryan. Now, the, uh, the film story is set during the late Cold War era and involves a rogue Soviet na- naval captain who wishes to defect to the United States with his offer- officers and a Soviet Navy's n- newest and most advanced nuclear submarine fictional improvement uh, of... Sorry, a fictional improvement on the Soviet ICBM-capable Typhoon-class submarine. A CIA analyst, of course, played by Alec Baldwin, deduces his motive and must prove his theory to the U.S. Navy before a violent confrontation between the Soviet and American navies spirals out of control. The film was actually honored with the Academy Award for Best Sound Editing, along with the nominations for Best Sound Mixing, Best Film Editing, and on June 12, 1990, the original soundtrack, composed by and conducted by Basil Polidoris, was was released on MCA Records. Now, um, 
that soundtrack, when I got it, was actually released uh, in a long box, which if you're not familiar with a long box, it's uh, how they used to put CDs when, when all they had was vinyl storage. They put uh, they put the these long boxes in. I don't have the long box anymore. It was this it was just this huge red box. It was really cool. It, it looked really cool in any, in any case. Uh, so yeah, and the, the Hunt for Red October was received mostly positive reviews from the critics and was sixth top grossing film domestically of the year. Now the music score for the Hunt for Red October was of course composed and conducted by Basil Polidoris. A soundtrack album composed of 10 melodies was released on June 12th, 1990, which I mentioned. The album is missing some of the musical moments present in the film, including the scene where the Red October sings the Soviet national anthem. Uh, The soundtrack is limited due to the fact that it was originally compiled to fit on the compact cassette. Uh, Later, it was remastered for CD and an expanded version was released in late 2013 by Entrada Records, which is what we'll be listening to today. It features 40 additional minutes of the score, including the then unreleased end titles and is, in fact, where our music is coming from today. So why don't we uh, make no further ado here and have a listen to probably uh, one of my favorite score, um, Cold War scores, uh, Cold War film scores, um, the last of them from the 1990 film as we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of The Hunt for Red October.
from the 1990 film The Hunt for Red October. That's music by Basil Polidorus. Well, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound at uh well at visionsound you can also try me on my website visionsinsound.ca check out my well you can't see it but i am wearing my wonderful uh wonderful hoodie tonight uh vision, with with the visions yeah the visions and sound hoodie and uh it is extremely warm i i love it it is <laughs> it is like i mean it's a cool night out out, out here and i wore it and i'm still wearing shorts cuz i i I don't want to give up my shorts until like the 21st of, of September or even, even long. If I can hold on, if I can hold on to wearing shorts as long as I can, I will. But I mean, I love this hoodie. It's so nice and cozy and warm and it's just got like, it's, it's, it's great. So check it out. Uh, I don't know if the site-wide sale is over. I think it might be, but as soon as another site-wide sale comes up, I will let people know because Check it out because there are some great, great items on the website uh, or on the on my in my store, including like mugs, uh, masks, uh, hoodies, shirts. I'd love to see hats, but I haven't seen hats yet. Hopefully, as the winter comes, we might even have like like toques or you know like uh, uh, um, I would I would love to see that personally but we'll see we'll see on that in any case um you can also find me on the wonderful uh itunes you can just type in my visions in sound to that wonderful uh itunes search engine and you can find me there under apple podcasts so we are going to continue on with a little bit more music from but before we do i'm going to reintroduce uh our guest uh guest or my co-host tonight all the way from Ramsgate, England, uh, Jason. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, this is this for me is a film that I I absolutely adore, and I've heard a lot of people. Like we've got a few people on the on the feed tonight who just have said, you know, it, it's it's not just the 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 film itself, but the score and just the perform just the the wonderful performances yeah. that come from the film. Um, I know that uh, you you're lucky. 
you got to see it in in the in the cinema, which is something that yeah. um, I didn't get a chance to do. What was the overall? I don't know if you remember back to like 1990, well, 30 years ago. But what was the overall consensus of the audience? What how, what kind of what kind of feeling did you get from them? Well, well, well I can tell you what the old Dreamland Dream Cinema in Margate, Dreamland Cinema in Margate, and I remember it was a it was a packed house, and I could hear a pin. I can definitely remember not hearing a pin, you can hear a pin drop in the audience. They were absolutely in on the film. They really were in it. It was not no, no nothing that everybody was watching it. It was, it, it kept people's attention. I just like to say that. And I, I, I still remember sitting in that, my seat thinking, oh, this is getting good. I feel like I was 20 at the time. Uh, I know it's so, it's so, so long time ago now. <laughs> but... <laughs> I do, I, I do, I do remember. I can't believe it's thirty years. I, I do remember just sitting there and just being a kid, thinking, "Oh God, this is going to be exciting. It's going to have it's all, all these all these uh, submarines. Oh God, this is going to be good." I, I do really remember that in in my head. But the, the amazing thing was, Polidori's music was so important in the movie itself because the scenes outside, these underwater scenes, weren't underwater. Nope. And if, if 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 you take the music out out of out of it, it just seems a lot of uh, things going going across the screen. It's, there's nothing there. There's no excitement at all. But Polidori's music is so so important to make those sequences as exciting as they were. And it's a and it's a terrific score. I think it's, it is. As you probably a lot of people know that the most the biggest grossing film that Basil Polidori's was involved with right. in his career. He did a great job and he had a, had a huge orchestra and he really pulled out all the stops but unfortunately for himself the the wall the the, the the floor was taken off him because the towards the end of the film the music budget was reduced and he was stuck doing electronic electronic sequences for the final piece of the movie so we, we so we missed out on a big orchestral finish of the film that we may have probably deserved and also, he also did a entitled piece. We ne- we never, it was never recorded because he didn't have the budget for it. Right. Which it is a shame because if you listen, the score is great, but the entitled sequence, the entitled piece, is one of the worst, much cut and paste jobs I think I'll ever hear hear of entitled. It's such a shame that the film's great score ends in such a poor fashion because of the the, the way it's a cut and paste by somebody who probably doesn't know didn't know music it really is <laughs> it really it's it, it, it really is a hatchet job it's just such a shame but he wasn't allowed to record what he had in mind it's, 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 the cue was called the new world had it all done okay. it was all ready to but you just, just could not he wasn't allowed to call it because of the, the, the budget constraints so he was uh imposed him towards the end of the recording and towards the end of his career Towards the end of his life, he was getting very disillusioned with working in cinema. He only he only only worked really with people he trusted, like Randall Kessner, um, Paul Verhoeven. It wasn't many directors he, he trusted. They were the people he stayed with and composed great scores for after this time. Yeah. But this, I think, was this was the start of him thinking about: is this really worth worth the hassle when I'm trying to write good music? And have the wall, I have the wall taken over me, and or you know the floor, t- the floor taken off me, so I, so I can't produce the work I want to do. 
So this really was a, probably the beginning of the end of Pedro Polidoro's career in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Now, the uh, thing is, is that he's done some amazing work over the years. We're talking like Conan the Barbarian and yeah. uh, uh, Starship Troopers and uh, and all of these, these wonderful scores. Uh, it, it's too bad that that had to happen for The Hunt for Red October. Because as you said, yeah. The Hunt for Red October has a strong, strong opening on it. And unfortunately, yeah. I mean, the the 30-minute um, version of the score, to, to me, is lacking in a huge way. But, I mean, the, the end title, Kaboom, you can tell... Just has that that it, it's a complete. It, it seems like it's a completely different score. Yeah, yeah. it's not the entire piece. It's the final. It's the final real action incidental piece in the film. Is the kaboom section yeah. with the uh, when Ryan and Ramis go after the saboteur in, on on the ship, and it's an ex- it's a great extended version on the entire release, which you've got a pretty good you're going to play. Yeah, but. It would have been even better if Polidoros was allowed to use an orchestra. And you don't know how... It, it probably, I, I could have I cited his, his work on Starship Troopers for the power he could, he can, of his use of an orchestra in, 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 his, in his music. And even, for example, the touch as well. I can go for that, for that further forward. But it's... It, is, it, it, could, it feels like two different schools, as you say. The, the great... At the beginning... The big Russian piece, huge, as you played earlier. Some great dramatic cues with, with the submarine, you know, being chased by the Russians and the Americans. Are they, are they going to attack each other? Are they not? So that, that sort of cat and mouse. Brilliantly scored by Paul Doris. He had yeah, great experience of doing great orchestral scores. And then the last bit, it's only thing, it's a little, it sounds all right. It's great music. It you know it, it feels like, it feels like it, because uh, it, it's, it's, it's a diff, it's a different palette. You, you, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like RoboCop. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was thinking. I, I was just thinking about that. I mean, there's a there's a, a little bit of RoboCop that shows up in in the score itself, but I mean, when you listen to it, um, especially that kaboom that last kaboom piece, yeah, there's a little mm. bit of RoboCop in there that uh, uh, it, it's it's funny. Uh, that that would show up, but yeah, there's there's his work with uh, Paul Paul Verhoeven again. Um, yeah, you know him him and Jerry Goldsmith did some wonderful work for for Verhoeven. And Verhoeven uh, let him gave him free reign, particularly that that's that's why the Starship Troopers score was so good because he was he, he will not have a, a more exciting score than Starship Troopers. Just so, so the range and the orchestra was huge. Everything was used on that score, and it was magnificent. And that was the, of the combination of his orchestral work and his, of his of his life, really. Yeah, that score. Even though he did some great scores afterwards, like the Touch. And I do recommend. I think I mentioned it on a uh, Zoom chat last week. If you never heard, you want to see one of the, one of the greatest forgotten Polidorus's scores is his music for Louis Mao's uh, version of Les Misérables, which he did after Starship Troopers. Oh, that's right. Is, it, it is beautiful. It is. It, no, I, I'm just, I, I'm just thinking about it. You know, it's, it's something that you know, I, I hadn't thought about until you just mentioned it. But yeah, it's some really great stuff. It's uh, a very different sort of album. It's, only, it's like in it's four suites. Yes. It's very, very interesting way it's produced. But it's a, it's the music is superb, and he's, it's like he's taken out all his frustration. 
of how in what, what he wants to do in his, his musical career in that one in that one score, and it is it is so so beautiful. Really, uh, more more scores with Louis Mao if he had a chance. But as I, as I said, after this, he brought us work with people like John Milius, people he trusted, John, Randall Kelsner, yeah, uh, you know, Paul because. He they knew what you know that what he could do, and uh, he wouldn't wouldn't uh, have the situation of oh, oh suddenly we've cut the body by twenty five percent, we can't use orchestra anymore. Yeah. But he knew he, he, so that that's probably this probably started to rile him after what happened with uh, his experience with uh, with October. It's such a shame because he would have done some great. He he, he Polidori's career is mainly a lot of really good films, but not major box office successes. Box office blockbusters like this is your only real blockbuster i think you could uh, say in this entire entire filmography no, no I, I would i would think robocop would be an, would be another well, one as well but i mean well, that was a low that was a blockbuster but it was a low budget blockbuster that was really it was a sleeper hit in a that's way, true because it was such a, that's it, true it was, it was a low budget low budget film but this was this had this had like a hundred a really big budget movie. He didn't really score but apart from probably starship troopers i think that was the only only other big budget film he scored after this one. But yeah, I I do remember though uh, that that opening hymn to Red October and just being obsessed mm. on, on on how to 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 find a way to translate. And uh, for I mean, this was like pre pre internet, at least pre internet for me. So yes. I love the opening the opening shot of the film when you just you know, start in talking. Suddenly, Boot comes out and you see this enormous big giant submarine and oh the yeah. Shows the music saying, "Wow, what a big ship this is!" <laughs> yeah, even in the music saying, "This is huge," you know, even 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 in the music, is that it's it is a it's a memorable start of the film. Oh, by all means, no, McTiernan had a uh, is is very good at his craft. I actually watched a uh, um uh, a Netflix series called "The Movies That Made Us," and uh, one of the one of the films they talk about is Die Hard. And he does have the craft. He does have the, um, and this really shows in 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 a lot of his kind of like mid eighties, uh, mid eighties, mid to mid eighties to late or to to early nineties films that he really had. He really honed his craft, and he really did a fantastic job in 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 those films. For me, it's it's uh, it's the kind of the run of uh, Predator, Die Hard. Uh, Hunt for Red October, and then, then Medicine Man. Medicine Man. Then, oh yeah, of course, Medicine then, Man. Then Dar, then Dar Hard of Revenge, then Dar Hard of Revengeance, and uh, then he finished finished that run with uh, the Last Action Hero. Exactly. All, like all mega films. I think he, I probably also surprised that Connery enjoyed working with him so much in October. He probably that's probably why he was he ended up doing uh, Medicine Man for. Uh, Bettining. Exactly. So it seems to the two really strong performances in Connery's career there. As, as, as I said before, the subtlety of his performance with the Tommy. He doesn't. There's a lot of people saying, "Please say what are you going to do, Captain? What are we going to do?" And he just, just sits there, just waiting for the right moment. Just he knows exactly what you can see in his. He doesn't have to do anything. He knows that he's got everything under control. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows the precise point want to take action in that in that in that sequence when he's when they got the, the americans are there they, they think they're going to they think they're going to fire on them and also 
been similar when the, when the Russians come along. He, he knows exactly what he's doing in that film, and he doesn't need to say anything. He, he just, it's just his face. You know, yeah. that this guy is a proper captain. He knows what he, he is in control of the situation. This guy is, is really, really good, and he, he's. They should trust him. Whatever he said, he knows what he's up to. Yeah. No, I I have to admit that the performances in in this film are incredible. As as is the music, and we'll get back to that in in just a second. We are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Hunt for Red October, and again, I will go back to this and say that it is a film you can just put on and you can enjoy. There, I, there is very, very little I can't I I can't even think of anything that I really don't enjoy by this by uh, uh, from this film. So I will just say, uh, why don't we just uh, head back to the music and have just a a grand old time with the with the with the Basil Polidorus's score and I will be and we'll be back in just a little bit so here's some more music from The Hunt for Red October as we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the film and score back in a bit
Thank you to our friends at the Romanian Church of God Kitchener for their generous support of 98.5 CKWR. A new softener under warranty is only $10.95. And for a limited time, receive five free bags of salt with every new softener. All supplied and installed at Adrian's Water Softeners. 519-778-1413 or adrianswatersofteners.com. 98.5 CKWR.
And with a little bit of music from the 1990 film The Hunt for Red October, we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of said movie here on the show. Uh, yeah, we were just discussing kind of off air here. And like I said, sometimes our our off air discussions are, are often more interesting than our actual on air discussions. So we're going to move that over a little bit. Um, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the last cue, which is, which we, we played, um, where there is uh, something, as you call it, nuclear scam. And, yeah. uh, it's, you, you kind of hear that, um, that choir again. And it, it, for me, it's always, it's amazing. And just how amazing that, uh, works well with the, with the scene. But, um, at this point you were also saying, uh, Jason, that, it was kind of at this point where he started started using the electronics in the score. Yeah, mainly because Polidorus had the budget cut from the, from the budget for the film, so he was forced to go to electronic means to complete the score, which is a shame. It would have been a much I think he'd been even better score if he was able to use more orchestral elements. At this, at this time uh, afterwards, but Polidorus was always a good master of using electronic in films anyway. He's, he's done, he did electronic scores like, for example, No Man's Land, he's one and a couple of others. So he, he, he knew how to use electronics to score films, and, and, and it's been very good use of electronics in, in, in the industry in Hunter of October. It's just a shame he wasn't allowed to use the, uh, the bigger orchestral palette he was allowed to use at the first two thirds of the film. But I think it was after this point it, the film. If it, it, you probably, if a, a, a lay listener would listen to it and say, "This is a completely different score." Yeah. Well, this just is because the, the the themes are not there. It's the uh, the subtlety of the, the themes that Prodorus has started up to this point had disappeared. It was more like electronic suspense and uh, effects use a lot more in his music at, at this point from this point onwards which is, which is a shame it, it is a shame because i mean uh, the score is so rich in those early in those early moments and then all of a sudden it just kind of goes to this to this completely different kind of uh of approach with the electronics uh, again just a, a, an amazing score that unfortunately um kind of i won't say fizzled but uh, definitely could have been uh, there, are, there's potential as to what could have been there. Yeah, through no fault of Polidorus himself. Exactly. It's just the, the, the situation arisen that he had to do it that way in the end, which is a shame for, it, for him as more than anybody else. Exactly. So, if you are interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on Visions and Sound, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website at, or at, uh, in this case, visionsinsound.ca. You can also try me on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just type in Visions in Sound into your iTunes search engine. You will find me under Apple Podcasts. Also, I you can't see it, but I am sporting tonight the wonderful uh, Visions in Sound hoodie. Go on to my website and check out the Visions in Sound store. Follow the links. You will go to be able to find some wonderful stuff. Uh, there will be a sale coming up very, very soon, uh, but check it out because you never know. You might want to pick up a, you know, a shirt 
or a coffee mug or one of the other many items such as maybe even, oh, I don't know, a onesie for your kid. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows as, as the case may be. So welcome back to Visions and Sound as this week we are celebrating, of course, the 30th anniversary of the Hunt for Red October. So now, the Hunt for Red October, believe it or not, has spawned a few video games, including, of course, the Hunt for Red October game based on the 1984 book. It was released in 1987 and was available for the Atari ST, Amiga, Apple II, Apple II, or Apple Macintosh, ZX Spectrum, MSX, Commodore 64, and IBM PC. Now, a port uh, for the Apple to GS was released in 1989. The player must navigate the Red October towards U.S. water while avoiding the Soviet Navy. Now, the game is a combination of submarine simulator and strategy game. Now, for me, I remember playing games similar to this, like Silent Service or something like that on the Commodore 64. Uh, I never got to this game, but I would I would have loved to. Now, recently, um, I, ha- I had it, well, recently with it. What am I, what am I talking about recently? A few many many years ago, uh, when my Commodore sixty four was still was still functioning and I still had it. Uh, right now, my nephew is working on uh, on fixing it, so uh, I'm hoping that he'll be able to do a wonderful job with it. Well, I'm pretty sure that he will. In any case, uh, I recorded a bunch of music, and one of the pieces of music that I actually recorded was some music from the Commodore sixty four game for the hunt for Red October. So I'm going to play a little bit of music from that and uh, we'll be back in just a little bit and we'll continue on celebrating more of the 30th anniversary of the hunt for Red October. Back in a bit.
with a little bit of music from the Hunt for Red October video game. That's uh, music, of course. You heard a little bit of the uh, the hymn to Red October in that. I'm surprised they were able to get away with that during the video game. But, of course, that would have been at a time when, when the video game music was kind of the Wild West kind of approach to things. I remember playing a game that would, would use, that would very liberally use John Williams themes and such. So, and I'm sure that they didn't get permission to use them. In any case, that's music from the Commodore 64 game, The Hunt for Red October. So welcome back to Visions and Sound as we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of said movie video game or, you know, the score itself in any case. Uh, Red October is considered the last of the Cold War films since by March of 1990, just before the film's theatrical release, the Soviet par- Parliament removed the Communist Party from government, effectively ending the Cold War. Now, set during this period, uh, there were concerns that with its end, the film would be irrelevant. To compensate for the change, the Soviet Union's political climate, rather, in the Soviet Union's political climate, an on-screen crawl appears at the beginning of the film stating that it takes place in 1984 during the Cold War. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the film caused a minor sensation in the Black Project's submarine warfare technology community. In one scene where the USS Dallas is chasing Red October through the submarine canyon, the crew can be heard calling out that they have various Malignal anomalies. This essentially revealed that the use of gravimet- uh, grav- gravimetry as a method of silent navigation in U.S. submarines. Thought to be a billion-dollar black project, the development of a full, t- full tensor gravity gra- gra- gradiometer by Bell Aerospace was a classified technology at the time. It was thought to be developed only uh, a, on a few Ohio-class submarines. After it was developed in 1973, Bell Aerospace later sold the technology to Bell Geospace for oil exploration purposes. Oops. <laughs> I often, uh, to kind of take, yeah, just, just a, a little bit of, uh, a bit of an oops there, possibly. Yeah, we, we, we kind of kept this secret until it came out in the movie. In any in any case, in any case, I often like to take uh, cues from the soundtrack that are not necessarily heard and give them a spin. Now, here's a look at three album and alternative mixes from the Entrada soundtrack. Uh, you may have heard some of you may have heard some of these on the original album, but this is there's some alternate mixes as well. I kind of like to peel back the curtain on this one. So here's a little bit of a little bit of not necessarily unheard music, but music that slightly different than the actual um, movie um, music in the movie. So back in just a bit.
with a little bit of behind-the-curtain music that's uh, um, a few cues, uh, album versions and alternative mixes of the score. So I'm just going to continue on with some more music because the time just flies here when I'm doing this kind of stuff. So I'm just going to continue on, and uh, before we get close to wrapping up the show, I'm just going to say this. uh, Enjoy some more music uh, uh, from The Hunt for Red October as we are celebrating the 30th anniversary back in just a bit.
And well, that's all for uh, us this week. And glad that you hanging. Thank you. Thank you for hanging around for those that did. Uh, Jason, uh, I'm just going to ask you before we go, what have you got coming up? Well, strange you could say that my latest edition of the archive or part two of my latest archive show was, was put on the website at Cinematic Town Radio yesterday. So uh, have a have a good listen to that. It features some music from Ennio Morricone, uh, music from the Adventures of Robertson Crusoe, music by Dave Grushin and Ken Womberg. So that's something worth listening to. I'm working on an interview which I had delayed finishing due to uh, family reasons, as uh, more than aware of. Uh, and also, I'll, during the next couple of weeks, I'll be working on some archive show and a special on John Williams, if I get a chance to do so. So I'll have plenty to do in the next couple of weeks, but uh, for the time being, have a listen to Archive 24 Part 2 and uh, enjoy a bit of more classic music for the late, great Ennio Morricone with two meals of Sister Sarah. Awesome. Well, uh, we've talked today a lot about uh, people who want to stay hidden under the water. Uh, but in this case, uh, before I end off today's show, I hope that you don't stay hidden and hope that you, as you're getting on with your day, you realize just how awesome you are and never let anyone tell you any different. If you're ever feeling not right, there are people out there who care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. And I know from personal experience just how hard it is sometimes for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without a huge, the route without rather the huge support of a team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available in case of an emergency. Please call nine one one for immediate help. Uh, the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and Kids Help Phone 1-800-668-6868 all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, join me next week as we continue into September with a with the look at the music of Season 1 of The Mandalorian. Hmm. So I'll end hmm. off this week I'll end off this week's show with a, a unique English version of the hymn to Red October. So, uh, das Vidanya, and I'll be back next week with more Visions in Sound. <laughs>